Pastor Phil first invited me to preach, I immediately knew he was a man of great faith. You know, it takes, um, it's not every day you see a soon-to-be graduating seminary student to be invited to a church for the first time and be asked to preach about the end times. And there's something inherently or naturally difficult for any preacher to preach about such things. And even in our passage, we'll see that it recognizes the mystery of the things that will happen. And though Pastor Phil graciously has done the difficult parts of preaching from the beginning parts of chapter 13, um, nonetheless, um, it is my great privilege to come here. And the, reason when I, and the reason why I know he is a man of great faith is because I saw in him that the only explanation for him to ask me to preach from this is not because he had great confidence in me, but because he has great confidence in a God who can speak through any vessel, even someone like me, to bring the word of encouragement and of hope to his people. So with that, if you can turn with me, if you may turn with me to Mark chapter 13, Mark chapter 13, verse 32 to 37. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to you all. It is my humble privilege to come and see you guys face to face. And it's also my humble privilege to come before you and give you God's word. So with that, let us bow before him once again and ask him for help to see his word clearly. Dear gracious Father, we come into your presence to hear from your word and to receive life. Thank you for the cross of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to save us from our sins and raised us from our spiritually dead bodies. We come together as one body, not to confess that we are good people, but to confess that we have a good Savior. It is by His grace and it is by His righteousness you call us your own. We ask now for your Holy Spirit to help us turn our hearts back to you again. May he illuminate your word so that we do not simply read and hear your word, but that we may understand it as well. As we receive conviction from it, may we be led to repentance. And as we receive comfort, may we run to the cross of Jesus once again. And as we find, and as we find you, may our lips and hands be filled with worship, both here in your church and beyond, to the places you call us. And we ask of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the final chapters of Mark. And Jesus has 
in chapter 11, entered into Jerusalem and making his way to why he came to earth in the first place. And that is to ultimately take upon his shoulders the guilt of our, guilt of our sins and die on the cross. But right before that actual episode, we'll see in the coming weeks, we have this chapter, chapter 13, where Jesus explains to his disciples and shows a little insight of the last, last days, the end times. He gives them a preview of what is to be expected. And as I mentioned, the past two weeks, you guys have heard from Pastor Phil how Jesus explains what to expect both here on earth, but also last week we've seen what we are to expect in heaven. And on earth, the chapter explains there will be wars, there will be disasters, famines, violence, and death. Verse 19 explains it best for us, for it says, For in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And particularly for us Christians, it will, it will be very difficult. We will experience much suffering for our faith. But on the final day, there would be much reason to celebrate. On the final day, the Son of Man, the perfect one, will come down from heaven and he will establish his kingdom. He will be recognized by all, not just Christians, but even non-believers. And whether they believe it or not, he will establish his kingdom and claim his seat as the one true king. And everyone, not only on earth, but even in heaven, will bend their knees and confess that he is Lord. And at that day, the king will give his final judgment on the whole earth, and he will rid the earth of sin and death once and for all. For Christians, as you have heard last week, we have nothing to fear. Christians have nothing to fear on the last day, but not because we are better than others. No, on the contrary, we are no better than anyone else. But we have nothing to fear on the day of judgment because you and I will not be judged on our righteousness. We will not be judged on our perfection. But you and I, we have nothing to fear because we will be judged on the righteousness and perfection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we will claim heaven not because of how well we live, but because of how well he did. And so for that, to that end, we long for that day. Because it will be a day where we will finally see Jesus. We will finally see the world as it is meant to be. With no suffering, with no death, with no 14-month pandemics, with no separation from loved ones and friends. And when we will see him, we will see him not with faith, but we will see him with our eyes. And to that end, we long for that shalom. We long for that completeness and peace in our lives. But here in this chapter and here today, that day has not yet come. Right? That day has not yet come. And so we still long for that day. And as joyful as it may be, we are still waiting. And we don't know when that day will come. Verse 32 says, no one knows. The angels don't know. You and I don't know. Not even Jesus when he was here on earth did not know. He knows now as he has ascended into heaven as he sits there as the rightful king. He knows now, but not even Jesus knew. But the point for us is not to know the particulars. The point for us, and not for the disciples, is not to know how to, I mean, I just came out of seminary, not to properly understand Revelations 
let alone chapter 13 of Mark. That's not the point. And that's not the point Jesus is trying to make. Jesus isn't saying, hey, I'm going to die, and I'm going to go, and you guys try to figure it out. No, what he says is this. In chapter 13, we see that as we wait for the final day, the point is for us to stay awake. For us to stay awake because that day will come. So why is it important for us to stay awake? Why is it so important that Jesus, in this short little passage, says it multiple times for us to stay awake? And that's because he knows not only the disciples, but even for us, we are prone to forget. We are prone to forget that that glorious life awaits us on that day when Jesus comes. And when that happens, and when that day happens, and when we forget, that even though that day will happen, and when we forget, what happens is that we live as the, as the world lives. We live as this world is it. We do not live and we forget as if there is another world to come. And when that happens, three things happen to us. Three ways, or, or three ways of our life is characterized when we forget that Jesus is coming. And those are my three points. And the three ways we resemble this world is that we become shameless, we become hopeless, and lastly, we become loveless. When we forget when Jesus is coming back, or that Jesus is coming back, we become shameless, we become hopeless, and we become loveless. And so my main message for you today is to stay awake and be vigilant for the sure coming of Jesus lest we become shameless, hopeless, and loveless. So my first point, shameless. In, Matthew's, in the Gospel of Matthew's account of this chapter, it's a little bit more elaborate. There's more detail. After Jesus tells the disciples to stay awake, he immediately goes into telling the parable of the ten virgins. And as some of you may know, it's a, the parable is about ten girls who are waiting for the bridegroom. They have been called to prepare for him. But they don't know when he's going to come. And it's in the wee hours of the night, five of the girls who are called wise, they come prepared. And there are five other girls who don't come prepared, and they don't have extra oil for their lamps. And as they're waiting, they actually all fall asleep. And in the time most unexpected, the bridegroom finally arrives. The five wise girls, they wake up, light their, light their lamps, and they are entered into the, the, the glorious ceremony, the marriage ceremony with the bride, a bridegroom. But the other five girls, they didn't come prepared. They didn't have oil. Now, we may think that the difference between them is simply whether or not they had oil or whether or not they actually believed the bridegroom would come. That's not true. All ten of them equally knew the bridegroom would come. But what makes them different is their posture. The five girls... They eagerly waited for him. That's why they came, they came prepared. The five foolish girls, they didn't come prepared, even though they knew he would come, because their posture was off. They had no regards for when he would come or if he would come. And that's what we see here today in our small parable that we see in our passage. The master leaves the house, and he leaves each servant to their own task. All the servants know that they will come. They, all the servants know that he will one day come again. But what makes the, the differentiating uh, characteristic between 
the servants, is that some servants will know he will come back and eagerly wait, and they will do their, their task diligently, and others, they will not. And so then when the master returns, the question is also for us, what will we be doing? Will we be doing our task that the Lord has given us, or will we be idle? It's like when a parent leaves the house. I'm sure I, sometimes I, I'll, I'll have some downtime and I'll watch YouTube, and um, there are some clips where kids are told uh, to do a certain task, a, a certain chore, you know, clean the room before I come back home, or make sure you wash the dishes. And, and the video is not so much when they're not doing anything, but the moment when the parent comes back, and you see them frantically jumping out of their couch and realize that they didn't do anything that they were told to do. Now, now there's no, obviously, there's no videos of kids actually obeying, because, you know, there's nothing know funny about that you know but the kids who actually do obey they obey because they have respect for their parent and in these videos we see children who don't do what they're told because they have no regards for their parents right and 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 the video what we see in those videos when they do jump up and try to you know do a little bit of cleaning it's not because they respect their parent in fact they respect it's because they respect the rod right So Jesus is telling his disciples to stay awake as well. He can come back at any time. And when they do, and when they're not doing what they're supposed to do, right, Jesus is telling his disciples, if you forget that I'm coming back, you will only live for what's in this world. And you will live for something else. You won't live for when I'm coming. You won't live for me. What you will do is you will find something else to live for. And that is why his command is not only for them, but it's for us as well. You know, when we forget our postures change and we become shameless in our living, we have no regards for the way we live our lives. To quote Pastor Phil from last week, you know, earth is the only heaven that the non-believer will know. But for the Christian, earth is the only hell. But if in our minds we forget that Jesus is coming back, and that there is no future life in heaven, we ourselves are in danger of making this current life our heaven. You see, when we forget that Jesus brings our ultimate satisfaction, we will shamelessly live this life looking for satisfaction in other things. We will find it in money. We will find it in the things money can buy. We will find our satisfaction in in how many friends we have or how many likes we get from our Instagram posts. And for others, when we forget that Jesus comes back to call us home because we have already found acceptance in him, we find acceptance in other things. And we, we shamelessly find other things to find our acceptance. Some of us may, may find it in our relationships, find value and acceptance in our relationships. Others of us will find our reputation and value in our reputations at school or at work. And some of us will even try to find it in our own marriages or in dating. And yet still for others of us, we forget, we forget that when Jesus comes, he will establish his rule. And when we forget that, we feel as though we need to find power, that we need to have control. And so what we do is we shamelessly find different areas in our life to have control, whether that be at the workplace, whether that is with our kids, with our, with our spouses. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to 
exert and have control with our power because we have forgotten to rely on his. You see, this way of living is the way that this world lives. Why? Because this world doesn't believe that Jesus is coming back. They don't believe that there is another world and a life after this. And we learned last week that even though they are told that this is the end of the world, their response is, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Why? Because they don't believe Jesus comes to give us a renewal, right? That they don't believe that this world is broken. There's that four-letter word that, you know, I don't know if it's outdated by now, but YOLO, right? You only live once. And we, we say it in jest, but the idea is this is the only world that we're living in, so live it however way you want. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about this. He talks about the end of times, and he talks about how people believe in YOLO, and they live shamelessly. And he, talks, and he calls them people who will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. And he goes on and on. Because when we forget that this life isn't everything, we will use this life to shamelessly live. Church, my question for us is have we forgotten that Jesus is coming back? And if so, how has it affected us? How has it affected how we live our lives today? Are we living however way we want and to try to live our best life now? Or are we waiting, waiting for the true and blessed life that is to come? So let us stay awake we are living in the last days now. Let us not forget that Jesus will come back at any time. And may we not be caught loving this life so much that we forget where our true satisfaction and desire comes from. And that is from our Lord Jesus Christ. My second point is the opposite. When we forget that Jesus is coming back, we become hopeless. It's the opposite of the first one because when we see the brokenness of this world and we see how messed up it is and we also believe that this is the only world that we have, we have no choice but to be home hopeless. We fall into despair. Jesus tells his disciples to stay awake so that they may guard their hearts. But he also commands them to stay alert because there will be many tribulations to come. You know, in fact, all of the disciples will suffer much tribulation. Right? Many of them will be martyred. And many Christians in the first century will be burned to death, will be thrown to the lions, their stuff will be taken away, and they themselves will eventually experience a pandemic of sorts. But even though they do, the reason why they're able to stand firm and endure to the end it's because they remember these words of Jesus to stay awake. And even though they didn't experience his coming in their lifetimes, they knew in their minds that this life isn't everything. You see, for the rest of the world, suffering is, is a problem. Suffering and death and pain is a problem. Losing a loved one, right? Not getting into the school that you wanted to. Not, not getting the job that you wanted to. Getting cancer, 
getting, getting some sort of disease that there's nothing you could do about, right? Or even going through a devastating global pandemic. You see, for the world, pain and suffering, they cannot afford because this is the only world that they have. So they can't afford any setbacks. See, I don't need to be, you don't need to be a Christian for me, for me to tell you that if there is one certainty in life, and that is pain, and that is suffering. In the last 14 months, we may have seen a pandemic, and we may have blamed certain things, the social unrest. We may have blamed um, teen depression or the rise of the general sense of loneliness because of pandemic, and we can blame COVID, But let me assure you, even though things are getting back to normal, one thing that will still remain is our sense of brokenness. This world will continue to be broken, that we will suffer. You and I will suffer, maybe not this year, but I guarantee you in this lifetime, we will undergo undergo much tribulation. And it will be blind for us to think that it will get better. So in that sense, YOLO isn't necessarily a cry of hopefulness, but YOLO is a painful cry of hopelessness. And to think that you only live once, it is a torture. Many of us have a lot of reason to feel hopeless this past year. I'm sure parents at home with their children, right, asking themselves, will they be safe? But also asking themselves, when are they going back to school? And even for for children who are at home with their parents, when am I going back to school? When am I going to see my my friends again? Even for pastors and church leaders, as they had admitted, it it was a very difficult year for them. Not not being with the church family in person and trying to navigate through technology, I'm sure some of them had to learn on the fly, right? And many other things. People have been gripped by fear in COVID. People have been gripped by loneliness and separation. And what it did for us was definitely expose the brokenness that was already in our lives. And I've also been told recently, uh, Mercy Hill had, had, had a dearly, dear, dear sister who died on Mother's Day of all days. And I'm sure many of you guys are still mourning the loss of Doris. And I do want to stop and recognize and to say that my heart breaks for you. And that I know that some of you guys are still mourning the loss. But this isn't a time for us to fall asleep. If anything, this would be the time for us to remain awake. This will be the time for us to go back and remind ourselves and comfort one another in church to remind each other of the blessedness to come, to remind each other that Jesus is coming back. Now for Doris, she is in a good place. For her, she doesn't have to be hopeless anymore. For her, she doesn't have to experience the pain anymore. Doris is in a good place because she no longer has to hope. She no longer has to wait. Right now, Doris is in a place where she had longed to be, and that is to be with her, her Savior. But for us, that's not the same. Even though we experience the loss of a loved one, we do not have the benefit that she has. We are still here. We are still waiting for Jesus. And so for you, 
my encouragement is to not lose hope. Do not forget that Jesus is coming back. That when he comes, we will be with all of the lost ones, all of the loved ones that we had lost, and to join with them, to not wait, but to experience the blessedness that Jesus brings. My last point is loveless. This is more so not how we become when we forget, but rather, this is what happens when we do become shameless or live shamelessly, or when we do live hopelessly. When we do that, the effect of that is that we, as Christians, become loveless. And what I mean by that is that when we forget that the true blessedness comes from Jesus and that our eternal life and comfort comes from Jesus and we forget that ourselves, what we do is that we stop sharing that love. We stop sharing that hope. We stop sharing that eager, expected day of Jesus' return to those people around us. And the first people that we stop sharing that love to and become loveless is our own church, is fellow Christians. You know, Jesus has blessed us with this church. This is the bride of Christ. This is the body of Christ. He gives this to us so that we may take comfort in it, that we may find times of comfort when we feel lost. But you see, when we as individuals forget that, and we do not believe in the comfort and the hope in Jesus Christ, then we ourselves will never share that with those around us. So that when we are suffering, when our fellow Christian or our church member is suffering, we won't be readily available to help them. But also number two, the second group of people that we show a lack of love are those people around us. You see, Jesus has given us each a task. He has given us the gifts he has given us the work. He has given us a calling, not only so that we may support our loved ones around us, but also that we may be Jesus for those people who do not know Jesus, that we may be Jesus and a hope of in this life and the next life for those people who do not know that Jesus is coming back. And see, when we neglect the task that the master has given to us in this life, what we do is we do not share with other people. You know, a couple years ago, I, I saw a YouTube recording of, um, his name is, he, so there's the, the magician's Penn and Teller. I don't know if you guys know them. And Penn had a recording, and he, and he re recalls this account with a Christian fan. And the Christian was trying to pray for him and show love to him and preach to him. And even though Penn admittedly is an atheist, in his recording is reflecting about the Christian. And he says, yes, I'm an atheist, but if I were to truly believe that I had, I had the answer to suffering, if I had the answer to eternal life, I'm not a Christian, but if I, if I did have that, I would share it to everyone. And the sobering part of the recording is when he turns to the camera, and I think he's talking to us Christians, and he says, how much do you have to hate someone to not share with them? If we truly believe that Jesus is coming back 
And he is going to take away the sins of this world. And he is going to bring renewal so that there will be no more pain, that there will be no more suffering, that there will be no more death. And we truly believe that to be the answer. It really is a gut, gut check. How much do we have to hate someone to not share it? That is why Jesus calls us to stay awake. Because when we forget for ourselves, then we forget to share it with others. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to stay awake, not just through my sermon, but in this life. I know this past year has been a difficult season. It has been for all of us. And for some of us, we have found various comforts in this life. And we have shamelessly lived as if Jesus was not coming back with our eternal comfort. And for others, we have been devastated by various sufferings. And we have been crippled because we have forgotten to see that Jesus comes back to bring our eternal joy. Let us turn once again and wake up, looking to heaven and joyfully waiting for the return of our Lord and Savior. So, we do, so that as we wait, we lovingly strengthen our fellow brothers and sisters and we lovingly share the gospel of Jesus to those who have no hope in this life. I do want to end with one story and an encouragement. Upon graduating high school, my dad, my dad wanted to climb Mount Kilimanjaro as a graduation gift. And, you th and I thought, all right, I did four years of hard studies, and your gift to me was that we would gruelingly go up a tall mountain and suffer. But all kidding aside, I, I actually enjoyed uh, the gift, and I actually enjoyed the trip. It took five days and four nights to climb nine, over 19,000 feet of, of no oxygen and not really good scenery. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, we went out with a group of people, and there were various kinds of people. Some people were fully kitted. They were geared up. And other people who, I guess, thought they were going up a normal hike didn't come prepared at all. And as hard as it was, the last night was particularly most difficult. It was the coldest, it had the least amount of air, and on top of that, we were to start our hike at 12 a.m. so that we can get to the summit by 6 a.m. and to see the sunrise. Now, of course, all of the people who came fully kitted, they went up with no problem, but they also realized that they probably brought a lot more stuff than they needed. But for those who didn't come prepared at all, they didn't make it that long, right? Maybe one hour into the cold, and they just turned back. And for me, I wasn't too prepared or maybe didn't, I mean, we were prepared enough, I think, but nevertheless, it was cold. Within the first hour, my water bottle froze into solid ice, right? Um, I had a a uh, scarf around my face, and the, and, the, and the moisture from my mouth was already collecting so much that it was literally ice cubes on my scarf, and it was cold. And within the first three hours, and in the pitch black dark, all we did was see the heels of the person that we walked in front of us, and it was grueling. And I remember three hours in, halfway in, I started to get really tired. And I remember plopping down on the ground, and I remember sleep overcoming me. And my dad, seeing that happen, turned around, 
sprinted back to me and started beating me, literally beating me in the chest and yelling to me, John, you can't go to sleep. You have to stay awake. Now, at the time, I thought he was being dramatic, but I later realized that at that altitude and at that cold, if you sleep, you are sure to die because your body temperature would drop so low that you would just die in your sleep. You see, for my dad, he knew that. And his desperate attempt to keep me awake was the very thing that helped me not only make it to the top, but also ensure that I made it down as well, or at least alive. And I say this to you because our need to stay awake is not as urgent as this. In fact, in fact, it's more urgent than this. Because our lives isn't simply going up a mountain, right? If I didn't make it, I'm sure I could have done it again. You see, this life, at least this life on earth, this is the only life we get. And if we are not awake, if we, not, if we do not feel the sense of urgency, what we have on the line is not this life, but our eternity. So my encouragement for you, the encouragement that I've received as, as I was preparing this is this. As difficult as it may get, as hopeless as it may seem, stay awake. Stay awake and wait. Eagerly wait for the day, for the day you will see Jesus face to face. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Father, we confess that this past year, this past year was hard. It was hard in various ways, and you know it. You have seen it. You have heard our cries. But Father, we confess that as hard as it was, we sometimes too easily have forgotten that this life isn't everything. We have so easily forgotten that you have redeemed this world already and that you have claimed your people for your own and that one day you will surely come back. Father, we ask that at this time that you help us. You help us to remember and help us to also be encouraged that even, even though we fail and that even though as we leave here and this week to come or even the month to come or in this lifetime we may fall asleep, help us to be encouraged that you are a father who does not slumber. You stay awake for us. And you love us so much that even though we fall away from you, you never fall away from us. Help us because we are unfaithful. Or rather, help us to find our sure, blessed comfort in your faithfulness to us. And help us to endure, not by ourselves, but hand in hand, supporting one another, so that we can be there one day in heaven, seeing all of our brothers and sisters next to us as we give you worship and as we sing praises to you, enjoying you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. 
We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Church House, located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.